Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and with me, I got my boy in here in the place to be, my boy, J.O. Jay, thanks for joining us once again, and want to give a shout out to him and also to all the listeners out there. Guys, we are closing out this year on a strong note. We want to thank you all for joining us on our website on vaultclassicpod.com all the streaming platforms of your choice and as well on our youtube channel lots of things happening there guys we promised a big end of the year and we are delivering right here so make sure that you all are going to vaultclassicpod.com our website you can check out all of our catalog all of our past episodes you can go there get to our youtube channel all the social media links are on there as well so you can visit us on instagram on youtube on facebook on TikTok as well. Yes, even TikTok. We plan on doing some great things on TikTok later on this year and also into the new year. So make sure y'all stay tuned. And in 2023, you're also planning some bonus segments to appear live in some live chats as well as some live shows. So make sure that y'all stay tuned in with the show. Y'all checking us out on vaultclassicpod.com. We have plenty of discussion topics that we want to cover and we want to make sure y'all linked in. So make sure y'all tap in vaultclassicpod.com. Follow us on all the socials. And thank you again to all the listeners out there stateside and worldwide for continuing to support us. As we always say here on The Vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics, a.k.a. MBTC. And today, I'm glad that I have Jay here with me. And we've talked about this since the beginning of the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast. You identify certain albums that you want to go over. And of course, we all talk about the standard albums, the ones that we all talk about when we review classics is out there. So I'm glad to have Jay on here, particularly because of the album we're covering today. And I think when we first started about doing the podcast, Jay, this was probably one of the ones that I think when even when it was me, you, Dave and Damo, we identified an album that we were going to be psyched to cover and to review. And yes, indeed, it's one of these ones right here. Now, we talk a lot about foundational albums here when we talk about reviewing each one of these albums when they come up. Well, this is not just a foundational album. This is a cornerstone. And when you talk about the album that we're talking about today, there are not many albums that have had the impact that this has had in the 30 years it's been out. So without further ado, we're going to go back 30 years ago. And we're going to go back to December 15th, 1992 to none other than The Chronic by Dr. Dre, released on Death Row and Interscope Records with a runtime of 62 minutes and 52 seconds. The producers on this, Dr. Dre, of course, the executive producer of Suge Knight himself. The singles from The Chronic, you know them and you know them well, or at least you do. And if you don't know them, then I really have to consider whether or not you're a hip hop fan or not, (laughs) to be quite honest. The first one, Nothing But a G Thing, released November in 1992. Dre Day, released May 20th, 1993. And Let Me Ride, released September 13th, 1993. This album, Jay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, l- listen, let's we'll get into the discussion topic just in a minute. But Dr. Dre's The Chronic is on a very short list when we talk about albums that not only changed the game, but the best albums of all time regarding hip hop. 
I'm going to read a passage, Jay, from Albumism's review. They did a album anniversary. They usually do a retrospective every time of one of these albums that comes out. You know, the big anniversaries, obviously, you know, 20, 25, 30, even 10. Jesse Ducker from Albumism said this. He opens up the article like this. First sentence. The chronic change hip hop music. (laughs) 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 Understatement of the year, but accurate. When Andre Dr. Dre Young released his debut album 30 years ago, he changed the genre's resonance going forward and defined the sound for an entire geographic region. The album is certified platinum and its biggest single, Nothing But a G Thing, is one of the most beloved singles of the 90s. It turned Dre into the hottest producer on the planet and made the label that released the album, Death Row Records, into one of the popular culture's most recognized brands. If you'd have told me in the beginning of 1992 that Dr. Dre would be hip hop's biggest superstar by the end of the year, I'd have thought you been smoking some really powerful shit. (laughs) While he was a genius of a beat maker for N.W.A., he was the least gifted rapper in the group. Yes, he was worse than Eazy-E. Eazy had a better voice and more charisma than Dr. Dre could ever manage. Dre spent a lot of time rhyming on N.W.A.'s second album, Afro for Zaggin, in 1991, but it was mostly out of necessity as Ice Cube had left the group for numerous documented reasons. As 1991 drew to a close, Dre left the definitive gangster group for ostensibly the same reasons that compelled Cube to bounce. He linked with the Marion Shook Knight and started laying the foundation for the Death Row Enterprise. For his first post-NWA cut, Dre linked up with Calvin Snoop Doggy Dog Brodus, then a lanky youngster with a smooth conversational flow. The pair recorded the title track for Deep Cover Soundtrack, released in 1992 of April, then began recording The Chronic. And that's how that all starts. And I think it's important for those of us who have context, Jay, for those of us who listen to the album during that time, to sort of get an idea and let people know, like, where we were. Because, I mean, he's right. If you would have told a lot of people in 1992 that Dr. Dre would have been the biggest star in the game by the end of the year, people would have really thought that you were smoking some serious shit, you know, because we all knew Dre to be, you know, he would have been, you would have been smoking the chronic. Absolutely. And so people knew Dre as a big producer, NWA's producer. And then when he left and then started on death row, I think it was a surprise to a lot of people, but I don't think anybody ever thought that the impact this album would have had. And so when we get into talking about the chronic Jay, I think for those of us who were out and around during that time, and I was, you know, 10 when this album came out, we'll get into that in just a second. But I think it's important to note that this really did kind of hit us all out of nowhere, thinking that Dre would be able to drop a project just like this that would not only be big, but probably bigger than anything he ever did with N.W.A. or anything he had done prior to that. So now we're going to go ahead and get into it. First thoughts and reflections. So, Jay, I'm going to go to you. Your reflections on The Chronic and... What you thought about it when it first came out, what you think about it in the 30 years since it's been out there in the atmosphere and recognized as one of the best hip hop albums of all the time. Oh, man. 30 years. Like, yeah, it's like, dang, where the t- for one, it's like where the time go. But um, mm-hmm. that was 11. I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And at that time, like nothing but a G thing in blue. I'm saying it was like everywhere. Mm. And I won't say it was an introduction to Snoop Dogg, but like, cause you no know, deep cover came out just before that. Mm-hmm. That summer. Yeah. Right. So like, you know what I'm saying? Like that beat was just, just infectious. And then I don't want to say, I thought it was like a flash in the pan, but like, it's like, okay, deep cover that thing was fire, but then, okay, what's next? Like, mm-hmm. so then nothing but a G thing came out and I never forget like 
It was everywhere, but then I was in my sixth grade class. That time we had like a subst like not a substitute teacher, but like teachers assistants, the people that want to go into the education field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we had this bad one named Miss Howard. Yeah. You know? I don't okay. know what she's doing now, but like <laughs> so like <laughs> so you know what I'm saying. So okay. like that time she probably played nineteen, twenty, like into the hip hop scene. So like we had the radio playing in, in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And she was just singing along to the journey, like one, two, three, into the folks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it surprised me. I mean, it's like I know she's older, but like I'm thinking, you know, say she's gonna be that stern teacher tip. Like, yeah, right. Now she rocking the journey along with us. Like, okay, like, yeah, you fine, and you like good music. I'm saying, you're a win win. So like, winner, <laughs> exactly. <right>? Yeah. <laughs> then the album comes out. I wasn't old enough to get it. Like, old, I had all the people around me listen to that joint, mm -hmm. and I was blown away. Like sonically, it was dope. Like well put together yeah i don't think i've had an album before like i just replayed the intro god knows how many times that intro is still like one of the hardest i've ever heard to this day yeah absolutely yeah with those synthesizers and that impeach the president sample mm -hmm. yeah yeah like, those drums yeah <laughs> that, that just hit hard as shit oh yeah but then like you know what i'm saying going to the album was i knew i was listening to dopeness i didn't know i was listening to the greatness like yeah. to reflect on it 30 years later i'm still listening to it right now even like just people in general people still play the album today yeah you know yeah. what I'm saying? Still like I put it in the same league as say like Thriller or something like that. You know what I mm, mean? Like Yeah. Or like I don't cross over to a different audience. Or like Abbey Road by the Beatles, you know what I'm saying? Like wow. you still got like hardcore Beatles fans like that still mm -hmm. play the album today. Yeah. It's just like, damn, this thing just really held up. Like I was really blessed to sit here and witness this. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not hearing about it like, you know what I'm saying? Like after after the fact when I wasn't even thought of or something, like I was here for this. I remember the impact. I still see the impact. Absolutely. Yeah. And we were young. That's the thing about it. Like we were young, right. but we weren't young enough to not realize and understand how big an impact of an album was. Like, honestly, I think this was the first album that I realized, like I was old enough to be able to realize and be aware of how big the impact was when it first came out. Like other albums that come out that I knew was big, like, you know, Fear of a Black Planet by Public Enemy. Other albums, right. you know, Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest. I mean, you kind of understand. But I think at the point, like, in the mirror off of you, I was just a grade behind you. So I was in fifth grade. At this point, we're listening to the radio every day. I'm listening to it when we're riding home from school. Also, on the way to the grocery store with mom when she lets us put it on 95 and 93. And it was all over the radio station then. It's not hyperbolic to say that in the article it says that it changed hip-hop because it did. Honestly, there have been lots of West Coast albums out there. We talked about The Predator with Ice Cube just a couple of weeks ago. We also talked about as well The Far Side, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side a couple of weeks ago earlier. You talk about DJ Quick's Quick is the Name, NWA, Straight Outta Compton. For this, for my generation, I actually want to say that this may have been the first one for our generation that it really introduced us to what West Coast life was like. Like, popular culture-wise. I think there have been lots of albums that were out there, but this album commercially was so big. And then, it wasn't just the music that you were hearing. It was also the music videos that they were shooting. You remember the music video for Deep Coverage, eh? You also remember oh, the music yeah. video for Nothing But a G-Thing and also Dre Day, you know? Absolutely. So, the visuals that you saw with Life in Southern California made the West Coast cool to a lot of us, you know? Before we even knew what California life was like outside of Saved by the Bell and other shit on television with white people, for us, for black people, for the culture, really, Dr. Dre's The Chronic helped make being on the West Coast seem really fucking cool. 
<laughs> it did. It gave you that, like the visuals of riding around and goddamn who rides and shit. Goddamn a ride on hydraulics and shit. Parties and shit. Sunshine. Beautiful girls. The parties being out of fucking control with 40 ounces and shit and music and the big ass speakers. Just really Southern California living. It made that shit seem really fucking cool. And it also made the hood life in Southern California seem really fucking cool. Even though we're talking about this album getting released, just like The Predator being released right in the shadows of the fucking LA riots happening not even six months mm -hmm. earlier, you know? So this is being created in the backdrop of where there's chaos and turmoil in Southern California, and it sort of takes you away from what was happening there and makes you forget all about what the fuck was happening in LA with all with the shit with the fucking riots. Why? Because this album was a soundtrack that made living on the West Coast seem like it was the fucking greatest thing in the world. Like, the fact that you could get New York heads going over where they don't at the one point in time it was almost sacrilege for you to listen to some shit that wasn't new york hip-hop out on your shit and people wouldn't clown you and a lot of new york heads would tell you that the fact that this made folks in new york and down south the midwest and eventually globally go ahead and pump this shit to be able to identify with a culture like they said on the article jesse ducker said it definitely defined the sound for an entire geographic region and Dre didn't create the quote-unquote G-Funk sound. You could definitely give a lot of other West Coast producers credit. We're hoping to shape that alongside with him. But when you talk about the prime architect, it was Dr. Dre. The production on here, top-notch. The I mean, some of the things production-wise are things that are still being studied to this day that people can't replicate, you know? I mean, those bass lines, the samples, that the way that they were sampled, the way that he took multiple samples in different songs and used them twice, you know? That Impeach the President sample was used twice in this record. And you can't even tell that it was being used twice unless you have a really keen ear. The skits in here, the fact that so many things in here came a part of popular culture lexicon, D's nuts, biatch. I mean, like right. seriously, you know what I'm saying? Like the fact that the chronic then became known as a synonym for fucking really dope weed, you know? I mean, come on, man. When you talk about culture shifting, this album is a culture shifting album. And for all of us who were out and around during that time, this album not only changed the way that we listen to hip hop, it changed the way that we listen to music. You're right, Jay. It is sort of on the level when you want to talk about albums and other genres that shifted the way that music was that thrillers the stevie wonders songs in the key of life the marvin gaze what's going on the beatles albums you were talking about it is you know this is an album that when you like look back it's like dog man this shit really did change some things and there are maybe about five to ten albums in hip-hop that really changed the culture when they came out and shifted the way that things were done we're gonna go ahead and get into the track list now highlights and lowlights so, Jay, let's go ahead and get into it. This 16 tracks on The Chronic. Go ahead and give me your highlights and any lowlights, if there are any. Oh, for sure. So, um, and again, I like to take it away from, like, you know, sending James to a pop on the radio. But um, like I said before, The Chronic intro, mm -hmm. that shit just slaps. I wish that would have been, like, an actual song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, mm -hmm. like, that, again, like, the way it was put together was just so perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. High powered, you know what I'm saying lyrical gangbang, ratchet hat tat, mm -hmm. bitches ain't shit. Of course, D's nuts, little ghetto boy, which I was surprised. Like I saw like an article back from like '93 and it was reviewing the Chronic and they yeah. actually like slammed little ghetto boy. I'm like, it was the source. It was the source yeah, review. The source, yeah. yeah, it was the source yeah, was review. Like, yeah, I'm like, what? Like yeah. I was rock with that joint. 
of course, like number the G thing and Dre Day and all, and like let me ride like the ones with singles for was slapping. But um, yeah. Oh, of course, a nigga with a gun because like mm. I was like again, I like the way that was put together. But I figure out what samples were used for that. Yeah. And the fact they used that Houdini joint for the, like the beat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, whoa, that's yeah. me like that was left field. Like I know, right? Yeah. Plenty of highlights, but low lights. It's funny, like I would normally consider this a low light as, as far as like the Jafakin aspect when the day the niggas took over. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah. The shit was so fire, I actually had to give him a pass on that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I mean, for one, the shit was fire and two, like, okay, I mean West Indians on the West Coast, so like you might be hard pressed to find like a Jamaican or something like to start riffing and mm-hmm. spitting that pot while over there. So like I could I could let this slide just, just go around. So um mm-hmm. I didn't really think the doctor's office skip was necessary. Mm. Just my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, those death row skits used to be OC out of the back in the day though, man. <laughs> oh, and um and I actually kinda highlight and a low light, like I mean, the twenty dollar sack period, it was funny. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I would rock with it. Mm-hmm. But it's been, it kind of made me upset again. It's like, dang, man. It's like that what if moment as far as the like DOC. Yeah, I know, man. Because I, I think that, that might have been like the first time I heard DOC's voice since the accident. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Like, dude, thank God you're still with us. But damn, man. Like, yeah. What would have been like, you know what I'm saying? Like, had you gone to death row? Yeah. And that didn't happen. I think he'd have been up there with Snoop. <sighs> he definitely would have been up there with Snoop. You know man. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's why I say it's highly and low light because it still makes you want, like, dang, what could have been? Even though he was a contributor as far as a writer and he had still had a career. Yeah. But him to be like to reinvent himself as an artist, yeah. Post NWA, it's like damn, like yeah. It's like the what if moment. It makes you think, man, because no one can do it better, and no one. It, it, that's that's a classic, right? And so, how many more classic albums could he have dropped with Drake's production on Death Row? You know what I mean? I always, I always say he's like the greatest living hip hop tragedy. Yeah, man, bruh. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Woo, there's one right there. Hip hop's greatest living tragedy, my nigga. Yes, like that's that's really how I feel about DLC. Yeah. Yeah, as far as like other low lights, I really ain't got them besides that. Yeah, man, the samples of some of these samples on here, man, the way that they flipped Sick. them, it's ridiculous, man. Being able to take, like you said, that friends by joint by Houdini on a nigga with a gun, man. The fact that he used Led Zeppelin when the levee breaks on lyrical gangbang, like right. yo, wow, man. It's also notable that Dre took a couple, of, a few shots on here. Of course, there were shots at Easy. Mm-hmm. All over this, you know. Absolutely. And for good reason why. Because, you know, he had left Ruthless and went to Death Row for a lot of different reasons. Basically because of the same reasons why Cube did. But then there were also lots of shots on here to Cube. You know, obviously mm-hmm. everybody knows the big one that was on Nothing But a G Thing. Mobbing like a motherfucker, but I ain't lynching, lynching you know. Right. So he also took a shot on them and let me ride. Also, he took a shot to Tim Dog too. You know what I'm saying? So shit worse is on a twenty dollar sack pyramid. I know. <laughs> and Snoop was definitely in there taking motherfucking shots too, man. Like you know, he definitely had his lieutenant on his side, and young boy was there ready to take some shots. But my highlights, obviously, on here, other than the singles, I mean, nothing but a G thing. That's on the short list for best hip hop songs of all time. You can't convince me otherwise. I'm sorry. Dre Day, I mean, great song right there. Obviously, very well put together. Those samples, that Atomic Dog, and then the Not Just Knee Deep by Funkadelic. This is a song he took and crafted basically by using Parliament, which would be a recurring thing that Dre did, obviously, with Death Row. Not only with his project, but then also with Snoop's project as well. Snoop and Dre having great verses on there. And may she rest in peace, Jewel, with the outro v- vocals just completely killing it. She killed it on a few songs on here, man. Still can't she you know, gone, it passed earlier this year, May of 2022. She was the first lady of Death Row Records. She helped to make that song what it was because without those vocals, it, 
It's not what it is. And I don't know if you remember, but when Backyard took a couple of samples from this on one of their joints, you know, when they definitely, the end of it, you know, that mm. biatch and then her vocals, and right. they took that and used that during that when they used to hit that there's some holes in this house. <laughs> and they used to have either it was white mic or the other keyboarder basically playing at the vocal samples as they were playing, man. So this is definitely something I remember because I used to listen to that when I listened to that backyard four six ninety five from the Met. You'd be able to hear like one of the first times they used those vocal samples for that song. Let Me Ride, obviously, another great song on here. I mean, not really a whole lot more to say about that. But to the album tracks that are on here, I love the day that the niggas took over because I love that fucking beat, bro. Like being able to use that BDP sample of Love's Gonna Get You. Man. And then also taking like stuff with the uh, the the documentary that they produced as well from what happened earlier. We talked about the riots and although everybody kind of kicked and killed it. I did like to also to go back to what you were talking about, the Jamaican accent, because like, yo, you just had someone who listened like they were a Jamaican who was perfectly on the beginning. Of Let me ride. They did. A, a, that wasn't a Jamaican. Oh. It was convincing enough, you know, oh, so, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but nah, that joint slaps um, completely. The beat for D's nuts, man. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness and including that whole thing by rudy ray moore but in the beginning you know talking about some you know if you had some balls here yeah, whatever if you got some balls on your chin then you got a dick in your mouth <laughs> so, but beat ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and everybody does their job on here from daz to dre and then you had the outro with the first time i want to say probably that i heard nate dog so classic and vintage death row right there i was surprised like you jay when they talked about little ghetto boy and that was a song when going back and looking at that source review, which, by the way, they gave the chronic four and a half mics in their first rating. And I hate to have to think that that was the reason why they gave it four and a half mics. because They didn't like Little Ghetto Boy, which is crazy. because That's to me, I think one of the better songs on the album. But love that joint. Love the stories being told on there. Taking that sample from Donny Hathaway. And then also I Get Lifted by George McCray. <clears throat> Craziness, man. Uh, love a nigga with a gun. Also love Rat-a-tat-tat as well. The skits on there, 20 Sack Pyramid, I thought was funny. I think I, when I heard that and I went back to listen to it earlier this week, I laughed my ass off harder than I probably did even back then because, you know, it's like, what was that? It was like my dick in your mouth. What are the things that Tim Dog does? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, fuck that. Oh, things Tim Dog say. Yeah. <laughs> High Powered, uh, you know, this is when you hear Lady of Rage on here as well, RBX. And then I do actually like Stranded on Death Row. I know that some people, when we looked at some lists, there are probably people that say that they don't like that track overall. But to hear Bushwick Bill on the intro and the outro, and I think everybody did their job on here. The samples on here banging. Uh, you hear Snoop be able to close the song out there as well. Honestly, just no low lights on here. The only low lights I think that I possibly would have is no, I don't really have anything to be quite honest. I mean, everything here just is well placed and well timed. And what I love is the fact that there were so many different contributors on here that were all death row people, save for Bushwick Bill. Like every this was a team effort. Like it was almost like this was going to be the first project that death row was going to put out. And they were like, all right, the whole team got to come together to make this happen. So this is sort of our introduction to the world outside of the deep cover soundtrack. Here we are. Dr. Dre, the architect of death row sound is going to bring out something that is going to define this sound for the next few years and also define the region. So no low lights, really man production on here. Great lyrics on here as well. 
Big shout out, of course, to DOC. Like you said, Jay, I'll give it to you. Hip hop's greatest living tragedy. The co-writing credits on here. Look at it. Just from nothing but a G thing. A nigga with a gun. Little ghetto boy. You know, also he was on 20 Sack Pyramid. The voice that you heard, obviously, after the accident, which is something that I didn't even think about when listening to it at first. I was like, yeah, well, you know what? That's that's absolutely right. And then also on Bitches Ain't Shit, you know. So, you know, lots of great co-writing credits on this, man. To me, now, Dre, the sound itself is what sort of what made everything go. But then when it came to writing, really, I want to say, man, the heroes on this got to be Snoop and D.O.C. So, yeah, for sure. absolutely, man. Notable Quotables. So now we go over to notable quotables and Jay, what do you got as far as notable quotables are concerned? Well, it's me surprised. I mean, one, I mean, it was already established and I do agree with Dre. Never really been like been a rock him on the mic, mm-hmm. but, um, I will say his general bitches ain't shit. Okay. Yeah. And of course, you know, Dre, I used to know a bitch named Eric, right? We used to roll around and fuck the hoes at night, mm-hmm. tighter than the motherfucker with the gangster beats. And he was balling on the motherfucking Compton streets. Peep the shit got deep and it was on number one song after number one song long as my motherfucker pockets was fat, I didn't give a fuck where the bitch was at. But she was hanging with a white bitch doing the shit she do, sucking on his dick just to get a buck or two. And a few ends, you got didn't mean nothing. Now she's suing because shit that she be doing ain't shit. Bitch can't hang with the street. She found herself short. So now she's taking me to court. It's a real conversation for your ass to recognize past the days. Mm-hmm. So, like, pretty sure Dre didn't write that. But yeah. I mean, it still stuck out as far as, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. As far as, like, this is, uh, apart from Dre Day, you know what I'm saying, of course, but, like, mm-hmm. definitely set, kind of set the stage for easy to come back with his diss, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that They had a nice little back and forth going for a nice little while, man, between Dre Day and then real motherfucking G's, and, you know, so it's there were a lot of things going back and forth, and, of course, Easy was out there and made it no... No, he wanted everybody to think that, you know, he made Dre and the reason why Dre was the what it was, it was because of easy. You know what I mean? Right. So the one thing that I definitely wish they would have done is that they would have fully been able to patch up their relationship before easy had passed away. You know, and they referenced it a little bit in the movie, but, you know, I really would have wished they would have been able to repair the damage that was done to that relationship as a result of them leaving. And um, I think Dre kind of referenced that not only in 2001, but then also in the Compton album as well, where he talked about easy extensively. So yeah, my notable quotable actually comes from little ghetto boy and it's from Snoop's verse, the first verse. And, you know, it's funny because I think about this verse that this was one that actually I think that it was the basis of where one of the samples of the evils with Jay-Z came from. And of course, also as well, this is the first time that I think we all heard was murder was the case that they gave me before the damn murder was the case came out (laughs) a couple of years later when Snoop was actually being charged with murder. So (laughs) talk about some foreshadowing of a couple of years down the road. My goodness. So, but yeah, this just stands out to me because of that, but then because of other reasons, wake up, jumped out my bed. I'm in a two man cell with my homie, little half dead murder was the case that they gave me. Dear God, I wonder, can you save me? I'm only 18. So I'm a young buck. It's a riot. Now don't scrap. I'm getting stuck. But that's the life of a G, I guess. Essays way deep, shank two in the chest. Best run, cause the brother's dropping quicker. Uh, too late, damn down goes another nigga. Bouncing off the walls, throw them dogs. Get that rep as a young hog. It ain't nothing like the street life. You better be strapped with your shank, cause ain't no fist fight. So I guess I gots to handle mine. Since I did the crime, I gots to do the time. And so we talk about this, the foreshadowing in that verse. He talks about him being only 18, 
Murder was the case that they gave me and everything else. A song, again, what I think one of the better songs here on the album. I mean, obviously, there are lots of great quotables on this. Nothing but a G thing to me is a song as a quotable. Let me ride to me as a song is a quotable. And then you also, I think, on this album got to see a lot of foreshadowing of what you would see, like Lady, Lady Rage putting out a project later on in Death Row. Dog Pound putting out a, a project later in Death Row. And as we would find out, not even a year later, Snoop coming out, which I want to say, and somebody said this on Twitter, and I think I might agree with them. I would be interested to hear what you say as well, Jay. Said that Snoop, at the time he was putting out his album, put out probably the most anticipated album in hip-hop history. You know, yeah, when he came out with Doggy Style. You know, and so I'm thinking, right? And I'm like, well, did anybody put out something that was probably as anticipated as Doggy Style was? And I can't think of anyone, you know? I mean, not one. I mean... I mean, it was some slaps that came out that year, but like, not yeah. the way... Doggy Style was like yeah, well remember like, Dog- Doggy Style dropped right around the same time or in the same period that Thirty Six Chambers uh, and Midnight Marauders, Midnight Marauders came out yeah. same year that Enter the Stage came out mm-hmm. so yeah it, you think about man that's gonna be next year we're actually gonna be doing all those next year man so <laughs> our notable quotables man lots of quotables on this album though just a couple that me and Jay referenced yeah I ain't, you made me think about it. I was I was I was slice as hell I got this drink for Christmas in '93 you know oh what yeah like the doggy style album oh you got it for Christmas. Yes, sir. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, you already know I wasn't going to be able to get that joint, man. But you know what I did do? I asked somebody at school surprised. for a dub, man. Uh, oh, asked, that was the way. Yeah, I asked somebody at school for a dub, and I went ahead and uh, kept it a, in a blank tape with no label on it because I didn't want anybody to think in the house to be able to see that it was Snoop Dogg. So Smart I kept move. it on the label, and I kept the tape underneath my – I had a Redskins helmet, washing a Redskins helmet up, <laughs> up in my closet. So underneath that helmet, I put the tape. And that's when I knew that I was keeping doggy style. So if I need to get it and I didn't want to get it mixed up, bam, here's my doggy style tape. You know what I mean? Because I had it on the dub and I didn't put the label on the tape. So, yeah, crazy. Good times, man. Let you know, for those of y'all who are listening out there, understand the links that we went to for music that had parental advisory stickers on there. We wanted to hide that shit from our parents so it didn't get stolen. (laughs) (laughs) some of us at least you know what i'm saying i was only able to get rap music for christmas and my parents be okay with it when i was in high school and only because my sisters gave it to me my mom and dad wasn't really having that shit though but for those of y'all who parents was all right with that shit though definitely kudos to y'all i had to hide my shit though so yeah yeah final verdict spoiler (laughs) alert you know look i'll go ahead and send it to you jay man classic essential dope just okay or not dope you already know, man. Classic. I'm going 10 out of 10. Yeah. All things considered, 10 out of 10. Classic. 10 out of 10. Classic for me as well. 10 out of 10. It's an album we talk about foundational. You want to talk about Cornerstone. This is a Cornerstone album. You want to talk about how big the West Coast became. And we started talking about it a little bit in the earlier years, Jay. And also, we talked about The Predator, Quick is the Name, a couple other West Coast albums, Cypress Hills, first album. Honestly, this is the album that really shifted the focus all the way over to the West Coast because all that stuff we talked about, all classic albums, right? I named all those albums we named. We have established those as classic albums. But this is the one that shifted the focus all the way over to the West Coast. When we say that in 92, that really is starting as early as mid-90, things started to shift over to the West Coast and there was sort of like attention being paid to what was happening in California. But by the time this happened in the end of this year, by the time 93 rolled around, oh yeah, the West Coast had it, you know what I'm saying? We talk about the shifting in dynamics, the way that the South started right in the middle of like 05, heading into like 06, the South started to shift to take over the game completely. This was that time period in hip hop. It's really when 
they started to take over when this album came out. And from that point, they sustained that momentum probably for another, I would say, two to three years until you had the releases of Ready to Die and Illmatic in 1994, even at the end of 93 with Midnight Marauders and with 36 Chambers heading into 95 is really then when the momentum started to shift really a little bit back in between New York and what the West Coast. A foundational album, something that if you have it on vinyl, it is a prized possession, something that if you look on streaming platforms, you can no longer find it. Why? Well, for those of y'all who have been under a rock the last year or so, Snoop Dogg actually gained the rights to Death Row's catalog, I believe. Snoop Dogg has taken The Chronic and Doggy Style off of streaming platforms with the intent of turning them into NFTs. I don't know how I feel about that, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> it's not really too much we can do about it now. But if there is anybody that I wish that had possession of The Chronic and Doggy Style, it will want either be one of two people. It will be Dre or it will be Snoop. So I'm glad that it's in the hands of someone who was an architect on that album and helped to make the album become what it was. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, The Chronic by Dr. Dre, a classic album. Jay and I both say so 10 out of 10. Make sure you go check it out. Not on streaming platforms, but if you have a physical copy, go out there and go check it out. Go buy it. I'm telling you. The vinyl will not be wasted. It will definitely be a collector's item. We'll be talking about this album for another 20 years after this when it's 50 years old. And when Jay and I are old and gray, you better believe we'll be telling our kids about it when they become teenagers and adults. So I might just go out and cop it on vinyl just because, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. I know I tried to look out there on the secondary market, man. It's definitely not cheap if you try to go buy it. I think it's worth it to go get it, though, without a doubt. So what do y'all think? Let us know what you think about The Chronic. Hit us up on vaultclassicpod.com, also on Twitter and also on TikTok and Facebook. What do you remember about The Chronic? What are some of your best memories about the album? Also, do you agree with us that it's a classic and a foundational album? Hit us up. Let's continue the conversation. We love to hear what you think. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can learn more about the show. Check out our past episodes, join our mailing list, leave a review, or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left hand corner to access our Buy Me A Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com.